0: We're in a series that I think uh, maybe, the, maybe the most impactful subject we could talk about. Well, I believe it is, without a doubt. Who is Jesus? As everything we're doing today depends on who he is. If Jesus was not God, then what are we doing here? Good question. We're going to focus today on Jesus' statement in John fourteen six: I am the way. And what we want to clearly define today is the way to What? What is he the way to? I'm gonna propose to you today that we've replaced his primary meaning. I mean the church, Christians, and non-Christians sometimes, non-followers of Christ, have replaced his primary destination with that question with a secondary destination, a secondary meaning. And I believe it's robbing us of an intense satisfaction and transformation that could be ours if we would get back to the primary Destination that Jesus was talking about when he said, I am the way, and what he was on the way to. Let's read our text, John 14. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? In a minute, we'll look back at what Jesus was responding to. Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father. You might want to circle that or underline it if you, you, know, you and highlight it in your, your, your notes. By the way, on the app, there's places for you to make your own notes. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been with you for such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I've been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. I will do whatever you ask in my name so the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Generations of Christ followers and would-be Christ followers have read John 14 and we've become obsessed with verses 1 through 5 or 1 through 4. For Jesus said these words, and we quote them at funerals and all kinds of places. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust also in me. In my father's house, and here's where, we, here's where we get hung up. Not that it's a necessarily bad place to get hung up, but it's just secondary. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go, prepare a place for you. I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. I will come back and take you to be with. Me. You know the way to the place where I'm going. I think it's you know the place where I'm going. Period. Stop there. I think it's fairly easy to see how our focus could be moved from the personal knowing of Jesus and the personal knowing of the Father. To the, to the splendor of this magical place that we call heaven. To sweeten the deal, you know, the King James Bible says, in my father's house are many mansions. Western Christians read that and you really get excited about having your own McMansion on the other side. In fact, we used to sing a lot of songs. some of you uh, who've been around as I have for uh, a long time. Remember the songs we used to sing. I've got a mansion over the hilltop. Great gospel song. Ira Stanfield, who wrote that, actually uh, uh, built a mansion in Fort Worth, Texas, from the proceeds from writing that song. <laughs> I build my mansion next door to Jesus. Dottie Rambo, great song. Um, and then, then a more humble country writer wrote. Just build me a cabin in the corner of Glory Land. (laughs) I suppose it's human nature to obsess on the idea that Jesus was mostly referring to be the way to magical Disneyland called heaven. And I'm not going to try to get rid of heaven today. God is somewhere today. He is somewhere and that wherever he is is heaven. I promise you wherever Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the father today is heaven So I believe in heaven. But when Jesus said these words, I am the way, was he mostly talking about escaping to this place where there would be no trouble and no sorrow and no pain and no death and no dying and no war and no suffering. What we have done, though, is we've replaced the who with the where. And we're missing the most important thing Jesus was the way to. We're missing the most important thing that Jesus was the way to that is not about where, but it's about who. We're missing the most important thing that Jesus was on the way to because it's not about someday, it's about now. If we miss what Jesus, the thought, if we miss that Jesus was the way to the Father, Jesus is saying, I am the way to the personal knowing of God. I'm the way to the personal knowing of the Father. And if we miss that Jesus was the way to the Father, our Christianity becomes too futuristic. In the sweet by and by, we shall meet on that beautiful shore. We're waiting on an event to come. The present we're living in is not packed with purpose. We're in survival mode. We're in bunker mode, waiting for this old cruel world to stop hurting us. In our minds, Jesus is saying in John 14, 1, because Jesus connects anxiety with a place. If Don't let your hearts be troubled. And they were troubled by so many geopolitical things that were going on around them in that day that we've tried to already delineate in this series already. So Jesus was, was connecting their anxiety with their surroundings, and he makes this statement, don't be anxious. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe in me. I've gone to prepare a place for you that where I am there you may be also. So it's easy to see why this was what all that Jesus was talking about. When life troubles you and gets you down, think about eternity where you will live far away from this doomed planet in perfect bliss. That's why many movements of the church where people are downtrodden and they're poor, and their suffering, they will sing about the other side. They will sing about heaven. It's no doubt why our, our churches, so go back 50 years ago, 75 years ago, especially in rural America, where people were often dirt poor and where life was difficult and stressful for them, it was comforting to go to church and sing about the other side it was comforting to go to church and sing about a land far away and hear the preacher preach about the catching away of the bride of christ and i still believe those things are biblical we could go to the scripture this morning and we could talk about the the, 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 the those those themes but but jesus makes it very clear jesus makes it very clear to thomas that that he, that's not what he was getting at here. Jesus, was not, uh, Thomas, he, Jesus responded to Jesus' question about showing us the way to the place where you're going with these words. Look at what he responded with. When, when Thomas said, show us the way to the place. Show us the road map. Jesus says to Thomas, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He makes it entirely personal. Entirely now, entirely experiential. In other words, by meeting me, Thomas, you've already arrived in the very presence of God the Father. Jesus preached the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now think about this. Think about the moral and behavioral impact that a faulty future focus I'm talking about a faulty future focus. That's too skewed in one direction. That's all about getting out of here. I, I I like to humorously say, it's it's when we put the emphasis on the wrong syllable. We can believe in a catching away. We can believe in a place where God lives of beauty. And there's a description of a place with streets of gold, gates of pearl. There's a description of a place like that. And some, some here in this morning may think that's metaphorical, but so what? If something's metaphorical, it's, it, it's based on something that's real. If you speak of a metaphor, you know there's something real behind the metaphor. So there's something out there. There's something. But think about the moral and behavioral impact that the faulty future focus has on us. Uh, it's like it kind of goes like this: what I grew up with. I gotta behave because Jesus might come back, and I wouldn't be ready to go. And preachers, we preachers use this. <laughs> You miss church on Wednesday night, Miss Wednesday night Bible study, and you're sitting at home watching the boob tube. That's what they used to call it. I don't know why. I don't know why they call it that. I have no idea. Dad, do you know why they call it that? No idea. That one-eyed monster. <laughs> you at home watching that thing, and Jesus comes back, you're going to still be sitting there. So we tried to behave just good enough so we wouldn't miss the catching away to the place that Jesus had prepared for us. So that, that really meant you try to get by with as much as you can. And you, you sin quick so you can get done and say, God, forgive me. And you say the magic words, Lord, forgive me. And now if Jesus comes back, you're, you're good. Now, now, I know some of you think you solved this problem because you have become eternal securitist. You are Calvinist. You you believe once saved, always saved. You think you solved the problem, but you didn't solve the problem. I'm gonna tell you, you did not solve the problem by buying into unconditional eternal security because if you sin too much, your little voice in your head will say, you never got saved. So you haven't solved the problem by believing in eternal security. Now, I don't really care if you believe in eternal security or or a conditional security. I don't really care. I won't, I re, I'm not going to argue with you about it because semantically we kind of end up saying the same thing. I never talked to anybody about unconditional eternal security that there wasn't a point we'd say, well, this guy, he's saved, but he committed, he's committing mass murder and, and rape and pillage, and, and finally you go, well, I don't think he ever got saved. <laughs> so we're never going to solve that argument, whether one can lose their salvation or they can't but you haven't solved the problem. Your focus is totally wrong. You're just trying to get to heaven. And that wasn't ever what Jesus came to earth to just save you so you could be trying to get to heaven. It becomes like, better watch out. You better not cry. You better not pout. Santa Claus is coming to town, you know? (laughs) That's not a relationship with God. That's not a personal knowing the Father just sitting around waiting on the Lord to come back and to see whether you've been naughty or nice. Does that sound like a fun Christian life to you? Does that sound like what you want? Did you think that's what Jesus came to earth for? I don't think so. The Bible says your sins have have separated you from God. That's different than just I'm be hoping to behave good enough that I make the cut when the righteous people get loaded up and taken to heaven. I have learned, I am learning, just to hate that lonely feeling of missing God's presence when I sin, when I do something stupid, something self absorbed, when I violate my own conscience. And I don't feel the warmth of my heavenly Father. I have learned to hate that feeling. I never think about anymore. I really don't think about. I'm going to miss the rapture. I better straighten this out because I, If I don't straighten this out and have a good prayer time, or if I were a Calvinist, I'd be go. I got to go check and make sure I'm saved. <laughs> It's so much better when your destination is God. I said it's so much better when your destination is God. He that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he's a a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Okay, if those who come to God must believe that he is and he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him, what does God reward us with? Himself. It doesn't reward us with heaven. Now, I believe in heaven. No, don't get me wrong. I believe in eternal life. I believe if I drop dead right now, I'm going to live forever with the Lord. To be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord. I believe all of that. But that doesn't keep me going every day. What keeps me going every day is the presence of the Lord. In His presence, fullness of joy. And His right hand are pleasures forevermore. I want to welcome you back to an experiential Life with God. That's what Jesus said. If we miss that Jesus was the way to the Father, our Christianity becomes weak and joyless. John 14:9 says, Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been, I take that personal, right? Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you such a long time, anyone has seen that has seen the Father, how can you say, Show us the Father? There's something that's outstanding about the early church. The early disciples' behavior in the book of Acts made it apparent that they were acknowledging a current reality, not just pining for a place with no pain. It was so apparent that early Christians in the book of Acts were experiencing a present kingdom reality, not just looking for the sweet by and by. They weren't in survival mode, (laughs) they were on mission. So you can't really be on mission if you're just trying to escape. If you're just trying to be taken away. Acts 2.42. I, I love this portion of scripture. Just, I'm just going to read it to you just to show you what was going on in that church that was nearest informationally to Christ's departure. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. Everyone was filled with awe. Many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods. They gave to anyone as he had need. For day, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. didn't sound like a group of people who are waiting on the Lord to come but a group of people for to whom the Lord has already come somewhere along the way the church of Jesus Christ turned inward to a focus on escaping this cruel old world instead of focusing on the point of the incarnation which is to confront the powers of evil with the presence of God our expectation of current kingdom realities has gotten so low so often when we do try to grasp the kingdom It's about consumerism, getting a bigger house and a nicer car, or a better job, and not communion with the Father God. When we do get people to say, okay, the kingdom of God is now, they say, great, when do I get my Lexus? (laughs) When do I get my mansion? If the kingdom of God is now, when do I get my stuff? (laughs) Because again you put the emphasis on the wrong syllable. You don't understand how wonderful it is to know God. You don't understand that there's nothing better than knowing God. And if you get to have a if you get to have a, a Lexus and know God, you that's great. <laughs> but, but let me tell you, you can be driving a a Toyota like me and know God and it's just pretty cool. <laughs> The third problem, if we miss that Jesus was the way to the Father, our Christianity becomes too impersonal. I I listen just about every week. I listen to different preachers' podcasts, and I just kind of move around to different ones. One of my favorites is I go listen to Bill Hybels, and Bill Hybels is everything but someone who came from my background, Dutch Reformed, Stoic. You know, I came from... Uh, Irish Pentecostal emotional very very different where we we thought we had a corner on the voice of God so I was surprised that people from Dutch reform backgrounds could actually hear God talk and but I am convinced that Bill Hybels hears God talk and I love the, the thing that always brings tears to my eyes when he tells those whisper of God stories he wrote a book about it called whisper of God and he tells those stories about when God spoke to his heart what, now, if you haven't figured it out already, I'm getting, we're going beyond the world of science, hard science today. It's science, but it's hard, not hard science. We're going beyond the world of hard science, and we're in the world of joy and art. I said, we're in the realm of joy and art today, because we're talking about, by the way, most of the joy in your life doesn't come from the world of hard science. Most of the joy in your life comes from the world of art. It's that beautiful spouse that you were lucky enough to get to be with when you look at them it's the sunset it's the beautiful song that you don't know why but it just makes you feel good inside when you hear that song it's the it's the joy when your team wins the championship It, it doesn't make sense that it should make you that happy it doesn't make sense that it should be that meaningful to you but it just is and you just don't care you don't care what anybody thinks about it because it makes you happy. It's a, it's a thrill when you sit down to a beautifully prepared meal that's got all the colors and the taste is so wonderful. It's not the world of hard science because someone else may think that food tastes like junk. Someone else might not even like it, but it, it, it touches you in the depths of your soul and it makes your tongue so happy. <laughs> that's what we're talking about today. We're talking about experiencing God. And Bill tells these stories. I love these stories. The other night I'm hearing one. He's he's in a cab in a city and it's late at night, and he's spoken all day and he's tired and he just wants to get to the room and he's in a cab. And as they're driving along, God drops this thought in his mind talk to the cab driver about faith. And he'd argue with God. I don't feel like talking to the cab driver about faith. Besides, it's gonna think I'm stupid if I go, hey, let's talk about faith. They came by this beautiful church, beautiful church, and he looked up at this church, and he said, I knew I had to obey God, but I didn't know what, he said, so I decided just to open my mouth, and whatever came out, I would say it, and what came out of his mouth is, isn't that a nice church, and the cab driver says, yes, it's the most beautiful church in the city, he said, by the way, do you go to church, and the cab driver said, well, I used to, I used to be a worship leader. But our church had a big fight and a big split and I left and I will never go back. And you can only imagine the cab driver goes, Well, do you do you go to church? He says, Well, yeah, I, I get there most Sundays, Bill said. And <laughs> <laughs> you can imagine the conversation that led to this is what we mean by knowing God. This is what we mean by knowing. We're so see, we're so hungry right now for the personal touch. Never in history, I believe, have been more hungry for the personal touch. Uh, uh, as I mentioned, by the way, we uh, Jack, uh, Jack Easterby, the uh, character coach and chaplain for the Patriots, is going to be preaching for us April 23rd. And I'm really looking forward to that. But I met him back at spring uh, at, at, uh, training camp, the uh, Patriots training camp, and just met him for five minutes. He was super nice. A week later, I get a personal note from him. I was so happy about that personal note. I went around and showed everybody. I got a note from Jack Easterby. Jack Easterby wrote me a note with his own handwriting. He wrote me a note. We're hungry for the personal touch. That's what Jesus was telling to Thomas. Thomas, I came to earth to be very personal with all of you. The more high-tech we become, the more touch-hungry we become. I've never worried about some people always write all this stuff about everybody on their devices, they don't talk to each other anymore. They're just on their devices. Stop worrying about that. We're we're so hungry for personal touch. We're not going to we're not going to trade one another for smartphones and iPads. We're not going to trade the personal touch. And yeah, it's true we need to there's etiquette we need to learn. Yes, I agree with that. But we're not good. We're just so hungry for personal touch. And the more we have high tech, the more hungry we get for personal touch. Uh, Part of Starbucks' value statement reads, creating a culture of warmth and belonging where everyone is welcome. That's one reason you like to go to Starbucks because they create an environment of community with one another. Jesus made it so clear that the greatest gift he could give us it's a personal knowing of God, a personal relationship with God who wants to walk and talk with us. I believe with all my heart that this personal knowing, you, you ever have a, a knot you're trying to untie? And it's never scientific. It's, it's just never know what's gonna make it come unraveled. You know, you grab at it, you, you can't figure it out. You can try to figure it out. You get some clues. But I think if I pull that one, and you pull that one, it makes it tighter. You know, you can't analyze the knot. You just keep pulling till you pull one and the whole thing comes ravel. And I'm telling you, as much as I w- believe we need to remain focused on the questions and the hard science questions, everything should be scrutinized by hard science science questions, including Christianity, but those questions aren't going to cause the knot to come unravel for you. Those answers to those questions aren't going to come the knot to come unravel for you any more than meeting the person that you eventually married, any more than knowing their height, weight, and measurements caused you to marry them. It was something magical. You don't even understand it, but there was a chemistry Hopefully. (laughs) I'm a little cynical, right? But no, personal knowing is the strand that will cause the logjam to come out of your relationship with God. It's the key. It's the secret to changing our lives. My brother wrote a song many years ago. Joe's going to be with us uh, Next Sunday, Joe's gonna be preaching. He wrote a song many years ago. And it came out of the culture that he and I grew up in where everybody was, every other song was about, I'm getting ready to leave this world. I mean, it was, that's all, we were getting out of here. He wrote, I don't care if the streets are gold or gravel. I don't care if the gates are pearl or wood. I don't care if I have a mansion or a cabin. Those things don't make you happy anyway. Most of all, I want to see the face of Jesus. See him smile. Hear him say, well done. Other things will fade into the shadow in the light of Jesus Christ, God's only son. Jesus had said clearly that the point of this place that he was creating for us, yes, he said, I am creating a place for you. That you might be where I am. That you might be where I am. But Thomas, like us, glommed on to the situational instead of the personal, the informational instead of the experiential. He gives us directions to heaven's conversation, or, or a better direction for heaven's conversations, what Jesus said in verse seven, "If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. This is throughout the Bible. Throughout the Gospels, the idea of knowing God was central. I'm telling you, I wish I had time to give you 100 verses, but I'll give you four or five right quick. John 17, 3, Jesus said, This is eternal life that you may know the only true God. Jesus said in John 14, 21, He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. Matthew 6, 26, Jesus said, Look at the birds of the air that they do not sow, nor, nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are, they not worth, are you not worth much more than they? It's not, that's not some futuristic thing. That's, that's how it is now. Matthew 7.11, Jesus said, if you, oh, thank heaven for 7.11. If you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? Then there's Luke 11.13, if you then being evil, uh, sorry, I just quoted that. I meant to go to, um, I meant to go to uh, John, uh, Jeremiah, sorry about that. Uh, But, well, let me give you John 4.8 first, okay? Let me get my, my, my uh, brain straightened out here. Let's go to John 4, 8, first, which is not going to be shown on the screen. The one who does not love does not know God. Well, that's pretty clear, isn't it? That knowing God is what it's all about. Then there's Jeremiah 9, 23. See, this, see some Christians think that the Old Testament was the bad, mad God. And then in Matthew, he had a, he, he had a revelation that he was supposed to be nice. That is, I I don't have time to unpack that for you or or to work that through you, that that the Old Testament and the New Testament God are the same person and they're both loving and kind and want a relationship with mankind. Now, I know all the objections to that, or I know some of them, and we'll talk about them another time. Let me just tell you, Jeremiah 9.23, an Old Testament prophet said, this is what the Lord says. Let not the wise man boast of his wisdom, or the strong man boast of his strength, or the rich man boast of his riches, but let him boast about me boast about this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on the earth. For in these I delight, declares the Lord. See, the real problem with Christianity for some of us is that Christianity is too personal for us. It's too personal for you. Through Christ we know God emotionally intellectually and volitionally that means with our will personal knowing creates a knowing him with our will it creates limitations and we don't always like them for instance if if if, if you're really good friend if you find out through somebody else that your really good good friend is getting ready to go to europe for six months you go what you're going to europe for six months and you didn't tell me because you're supposed to run that by your very close friends, right? There's an imposition on our will when we know somebody well and when we want to be their friend. And so some of us are pushing back on Jesus not because of the hard science questions, but because he wants to know us volitionally. He wants to know us through our will, and that will it always creates limitations. How many of you, how many of you guys, if I ask you to do something, Why well, you go, What's, what are you going to say? I got to check with my wife. <laughs> I got to check with a boss. You don't, you don't have to have a boss. You don't have to say, I do. You don't have to do that. You could have avoided that bondage. (laughs) You could avoid the bondage of intimacy. Yeah, you, you can live without that. But you can't have intimacy and not have the limitations imposed on your will by intimacy. That's more why we walk away from Jesus than any other reasons. Besides, you can know someone informationally without knowing them personally. You can get all kinds of information about a person. Personal knowing comes by. See, personal knowing. Here's here's the thing about personal knowing. It comes not by your will alone, but by the will of the other person. I have to give you an informal, at least informal invitation to know me personally. And some of us keep coming to God seeking information. and And we should, by the way. But they will never be the key. It will never be the the strand that undoes the knot. We say, okay, tell me why good people suffer. Then, Then I might believe. What could it possibly mean to turn the other cheek? Why did the Lord say that? What does that mean? How does that work? That doesn't work. Tell me why that works. Why did God allow Adam and Eve to be tempted? And why do I have to pay for Adam and Eve's sin? Explain that to me. Explain those things to me and I might believe. Yeah, we should explore those questions. Those are interesting conversations. And there are reasons to be considered for all of those questions. But let me say this, and I said it before. Christianity, as far as I know, is the only religion that invites criticism, that invites questioning. I, I have not yet heard of other religions having a debate I've never, I've not heard of a a, a a a debate. Now, maybe they're out there. Some of you are more worldly wise than I am. Uh, a debate between an Islamist and an atheist, where where the Islamist allows their faith to be severely questioned in all of their revelations and all the things they claim. no, Christianity invites. There's a whole discipline called apologetics, and it's not about apologizing, but it's about defending the faith. There's a whole discipline called apologetics, where where Christians, we try, to the best of our ability, to prove scientifically, as best we can, that all this is true. So we invite it. But I'm telling you, that's not the strand that will untie the knot, but it's personal knowing, because... Answers to those questions. See, you you could have all the answers to all those questions and still not know the Lord. You could have the answers. You could, I got it down. Okay, I know why Adam and Eve sinned. I know why I I have to pay for this sin. I got it, I got it, I got it. But that invitation to know the Father has to come from Jesus. Jesus has to say, I'm inviting you. To know him. The personal knowing is where the joy, the pleasure, the understanding, the purpose comes into play. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The Greek word blepo there, there's two Greek words for that. And when the word seen, there's two Greek words. One, one means with the retina. Blepo means the retina. The Jesus didn't use that word. He used haraho, which means to understand. I understand them. I, I know what makes them tick. Through Jesus, we understand God. And I know that some of you are experiencing that. You don't even, you don't even, it doesn't even make sense to you that you have this understanding of how God feels and how He thinks and what He cares about. You have this intrinsic knowledge in you since you've begun your faith walk and you begin to read the scripture. You begin to have this knowledge of how God feels and how God thinks. And it's, a, it's an awesome thing to have that worldview that's shaped by how God is. Amen? When Nicodemus came to have a technical religious discussion with Jesus about how one enters the kingdom of God. Jesus basically said, Nick, this isn't about information. This is about transformation. You must be born again. (laughs) Think about it. Being born is the most personal thing that ever happened to you. At that moment, you were put in the arms of a mother to whom your very life depended. Your life wasn't dependent on information, but on personal knowing. Do you want to know the Father here, now? Jesus is saying, again, I am the way." Would you bow your heads? Because of our connection Sunday, we're not going to have our normal invitation to come to pray. But I I hope that some of you are wishing we had that invitation. I hope some of you are out there and you're boy, I wish they had those prayer partners up there today. because I'd like to go have a talk with them about this. Well, we'll be around if you want to talk to us about faith. But I just want to pray for you that God will help every one of us. Some of us never crossed the line of faith. Some of us have crossed the line of faith. But we have not had the emphasis on knowing the Heavenly Father. We've not seen our life as a daily journey. Of knowing God through Jesus. But we're just trying to survive. This difficult world. I want you to do more than survive. I want you to do more than that. I want you to thrive. Father in Jesus name. I pray God that as we stand on. the, Every one of us stand on the precipice of our own futures. And I pray God that you would show us the way. I pray that at the least. Every one of us would leave this place today. Being willing to have a conversation with you and not just study you from afar, not just study you from a distant informational, but we would study you with our emotions and our mind and our and our will and our soul. And we would ask you to reveal yourself to us. We pray all of this and we believe for all of this. Now, bless our connection time today. In Jesus' wonderful name, Amen. You've been listening to the Bethany Community Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us online at bccma.org. Thank you, and God bless.